Welcome to the Music Business Podcast. Whether you're an aspiring music business professional or a seasoned vet, every Thursday, the Music Business Podcast brings you the trends, tactics, and insights from some of the world's brightest minds in music. I'm Jordan Williams of EQC Management. And I'm Sam Heisel from Knox. We're not teachers. We're entertainment industry professionals, drinkers, wannabe comedians, and most importantly, fans. Welcome to the show. All right, guys. Welcome back again to the Music Business Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, but today he's my guest, Sam Heisel, co-founder at Knox and former brand strategist strategist at VaynerMedia. How you doing, Sam? Doing fantastic. I just want to say it's, it's an honor and a pleasure to be a guest on the esteemed Music Business Podcast. It's an honor to have you, man. Thank you, man. So this is the second installment uh, where the host interviews the other host. I was interviewed by Sam. And now I'm interviewing Sam. Um, we do this so you guys can sort of get to know each host separately from the guests that we bring on the show. Um, and hopefully I can get to some really, some really deep and great questions for Sam here. So you guys, you ready to get started, man? Let's do it. Let's go into it, man. So uh, what do you do at Knox? Let's just start with that just so people know you immediately at Knox. And yeah. what is Knox? You know? Yeah, Knox. We uh, document stories, build communities, and inspire action. So in a less lofty uh, means. Is that, we, is, that in the, is that in the Instagram? You should put that in Instagram. That's the tagline. Yeah. That's the bio. <laughs> yeah. That's the, that the first slide of the deck. Come yeah, on, <laughs> right. Um, no, but in essence, I mean, there's a lot of merit there. I think document stories. We love to identify what are the unique. I mean, at the highest of levels, we build communities around the different artists, entrepreneurs, and brands that we work with. We do so through strategic content marketing. And then, yeah, it's great to build an audience, but what is that audience for if you're not actually inspiring and mobilizing them to take action around certain initiatives? So our bread and butter, what we're really after is servicing different artists, different record labels, different management companies, and helping break artists by building content so they can grow their community and then mobilize those communities around key initiatives, which tends to be new record releases and then priority shows. So how did you kind of land on that? How did you know that you wanted to do something like content strategy? You know, obviously content strategy for the music industry um, is kind of a secondary sort of career. You know, yeah. there's, it doesn't, you don't really directly work with the artists like a, there are other careers. Yeah. So how did you choose content strategy as something you wanted to do? And then how did content strategy evolve, evolve into content strategy for the music industry specifically? Yeah, for sure. So I think... Uh... I was definitely one of those kids that always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I always saw myself as becoming a CEO from lemonade stands and garage sales, flipping stuff on eBay to importing products from China and selling them. Damn, you did all that? Yeah, yeah. I was always, always about it. Flipping tickets. I used to sell tickets to different concerts around the country and I was real strategic about it. I literally would look at the... The I'd find artists that I knew were hot and popping because I'd also always been a music fan. So I'd see the artists that were popping. I'd look at their tour. I'd look at when they were releasing tickets for their tour dates. I'd look at the population of the city and the capacity of the venue. And oh, then I'd be damn. able to start to see like, okay, this is this big of a city, this, this size of a venue. I think this is going to sell out. Let me cop some tickets. So I'd flip it. And then I started to uh, feel bad. I felt like I was just like stealing money from like true fans. <laughs> so I stopped doing it. I definitely made tons of money. The I most mean, money you could I'd still ever make money off that. I made... There was one show where it was Avicii playing at, I think it was Governor's Island, rest in peace, Avicii, um, where I had bought like four tickets for like $60 a pop, but he was at the peak. I mean, he was at hype, mass hype. Right, right. Selling out, sold out this major show on Governor's Island. 
Tickets that I bought for 60 bucks, I flipped each ticket for $260. This wow. is like while I'm in high school, just like- Wow, you were probably hyped. Like, you were yeah, hyped Oh my God, I was so hyped. <laughs> I got the email from StubHub. I'm like, we made it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's I'm sure there's a moment of like nervousness too when you buy the tickets and you're like, oh, yo, sure. please, please, yeah. oh, I mean, it's please like a sell. Portfolio. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but then, yeah. So I knew I wanted to be entrepreneurial. I went to college. Uh, I was interested in studying finance, quickly moved on beyond that because I just felt like, Making money is nice, but to be in an industry that's just making money off of other people's money, it, it felt deeply like there was an actual new creation of value. Like you were literally just- Right, just moving shipping. money. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. And and beyond that, so, so I moved on from that, but just knew I still really wanted to be in the kind of entrepreneur startup world. So I was dabbling, working with different tech startups, trying to build my own thing. I had this big mission for this company to help people- uh, find their passion and make shit happen. Obviously, we all know how much better we are when we're doing things we're excited about. So I wanted to, I interviewed different artists. There's actually a funny interview with me interviewing the, the rapper GLC uh, <laughs> from Good Music Family in Chicago, like eight, 10 years ago at this I gotta point. I got to see that. Yeah, no, it's, it's that. fun from the archives. <laughs> but it's cool, man, because I was very interested in how can we showcase stories from awesome people in the culture and use their stories as a means of inspiring and motivating action and fulfilled right. life. Um, grand ambition for this company became a blog. Cool. Uh, but felt like I had a lot to learn when it came to entrepreneurship. So I started working with some really cool tech startups. Um, got to work with different venture backed startups, got to really work with some of the upper echelon kind of different accelerators in the startup world, traveled around the world, running workshops based on the lean startup methodology, mm. the lean startup methodology, uh, even would go inside corporations and work with and help them develop their innovation labs and whatnot. At the foundation of the Lean Startup methodology is kind of two core things. One is uh, customer empathy, deeply understanding your customers' needs and desires. Oftentimes people fall into this trap where they build out their ideas without customer interaction, when in reality, customer interaction is like oxygen for your startup, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, it's great. It's very easy to uh, have a great idea. Um, I would always talk about the endowment effect because... Um, there was a study that was done uh, by an economics professor where they gave a group of people mugs and they asked people to sell their mugs and they asked people to buy mugs. The mugs were the exact same mugs, but the price at which people were willing to sell their mug was on average three times higher than the price at which they were willing to buy the same mug. So in essence, we ascribe more value to things that are our own, right? So yeah. it's just because it's our idea, we think it's inherently better, right? right. We're led to it. And right. then you couple that with what they call the, the confirmation bias, which is where you're really only paying attention to information that supports what you already believe. Right. So if you have a startup idea and you are in love with it because of the endowment effect, because you ascribe more value to things that are your own. And you haven't talked to anybody about and it. That, and then you have the confirmation bias, then you're only furthering and, and solidifying and calcifying your belief that this is right. Right. So Lean Startup was very much like, let's get out of the building, stop working on this, go interview customers, make sure you're actually solving their needs. That's the, the one, part one. Part two is just like with build, measure, learn. Constantly test things. Constantly identify what might work and find out a quick way in which you could test it and see if it actually works. Right, right. So I worked at this startup. I learned that and so grateful just because I, I feel like there's a lot of really valuable foundational concepts I worked and I learned in working and getting so deeply in that methodology. Um, but as somebody that was just interested in entrepreneurship, there was also a talk by Reed Hoffman that I heard once. Uh, Reed Hoffman was the founder of uh, LinkedIn. He was part of the PayPal Mafia. 
like veteran OG startup investor and founder. And I was listening to an interview and he actually, he was going to study to get his PhD in Oxford in philosophy, which to me, I was like, this tech G was like philosophy PhD candidate. Um, he realized it wasn't something he wanted to do. So what, what he did is he literally built out a checklist of every of all the skills he figured out. He's like, I think I want to become a technology founder and build amazing, impactful technology companies. Mm. So he literally built out a list of what he felt were the top and most important skills in order to acquire um, so that he could actually manifest that, that vision. So it was right. like, be a good manager. He knew he didn't necessarily have to be technical, but he needed to be able to communicate with technical people. So mm-hmm. he literally built out this list of different skills that he needed to acquire um, and strategically took on opportunities that enabled him to acquire those skills. Right. So for me, as somebody that wants to build a business, wants to, I mean, has grand ambitions to create an impact, and we could dive into that later, what exactly I want that impact to be. As an aspiring entrepreneur that was trying to check off through the list of skills that I wanted to acquire, marketing, being able to build a community, being able to sell stuff online, to me felt like one of the most foundational skill sets you could possibly have. You right. could have the best Connect product. with people, figure out what yeah, makes it tick. You know? Exactly. I mean, yeah. you could have the best product in the world, but if you don't know how to sell it and get it out there, um, that's you're it. shot. Yeah. So for, every, for anything you're trying to sell. Precisely. So yeah. I think uh, that's when I, like, had you told me when I, I mean, I remember sitting through marketing classes in college. I didn't really, I wasn't like, I want to be a marketer. But as I'm currently on this journey of developing and honing what skills I find to be the most impactful when it comes to building and scaling great, impactful companies and brands and artists, that content strategy, digital marketing component was huge. So I've gone really deep into it. And I mean, I've kind of been working as a digital marketer uh, for the past like four or five years at this point. And I feel like I've built up a pretty solid set of skills to build communities and drive action. Right. So you worked for, you worked at at Vayner Talent. That's what it's called? Yeah, Vayner, Vayner Talent. Vayner Talent. Yeah. So I'd always been a follower. I mean, being in the startup world, seeing Gary Vee, uh, awesome entrepreneur, became a pioneer when it came to personal branding. I mean, now, now, how did that happen? Like, how did you how did you connect with somebody at Vayner Talent in order to get the job? Was it like a was it like a just a cold email resume cover yeah. letter situation? Or? No. So I've actually never submitted a resume for any of the jobs that I've ever gotten in my life. That's awesome. I've always found ways. I mean, two stories. One because they're actually tied together. So the first, I already briefly alluded to the fact that I was working at this company where we'd put on workshops around the world for aspiring technology founders. Right. Um, Lean Startup Machine. Shout out all the people from, from LSM. Yeah, Great I, days. Was, I actually was in the Lean Startup Machine in college. I came to my college to and had NYU, a bunch of yeah. students. Yeah, they had a bunch of students do it, and I was in it with two of my best friends. That's awesome. So I got that job by cold emailing the founder, NYU grad, oh, okay. Trevor Owens. Yeah, yeah. Um, worked there for a while. I actually got called in last minute to be the MC for a workshop in Hong Kong. So I got flown out to Hong Kong to lead this workshop. And the person that had put to, that had organized the workshop spent months putting it together, getting other speakers, getting mentors, selling tickets. Uh, Alex D. Simone, incredible person, great marketing mind, fantastic people person. Um, was, we went on this trip together. We're boys. He went on to start working for Gary. Uh, it was really kind of an instrumental part in the nascent stages of really Gary building out Team Gary. Obviously, he right. was always like active himself on social media. But he, I mean, he launched the Ask Gary V show and he got really good at repurposing and cutting up all this content. And really, I mean, has been pioneering being a celebrity entrepreneur. Right. Um, so Alex was working for Gary. We both had kind of moved on from Lean Startup Machine. I was working on my own doing digital marketing and stuff. Um, Are you freelance at that time? I was freelance. I had like one core client that I was doing a lot of work with, but then uh-huh. I was doing other stuff here and there. 
Um, but I was getting really excited uh, throughout this journey. I also used to promote parties through one of the first parties with Selection here in New York. So mm-hmm. always been a fan of like parties, good music. <laughs> yeah, I, I like to party. Uh, and Selection. Always like, been a fan of parties. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love yeah, parties. Yeah, precisely. Um, so what's it called? I was very intrigued. I mean, Gary pioneered this content model. He called it the Gary V content model. I was already a believer just as far as the approach at which he was taking to build his personal brand. I thought it was best in class marketing. It was tactics I was paying attention to and executing upon for my other clients. Right. Um, So once I heard about Vayner Talent, and at the time too, I was also trying to like take steps into applying my passion for music, my knowledge of marketing, and, and really start servicing different musicians. I mean, I was definitely a lot more like green and really had not nearly as much insight into the industry at the time. So that was already in your head to do that when you started working at Vayner so Talent? When I joined Vayner Talent, I largely joined under the impression that what we were going to be doing, because Vayner Talent was a division within Vayner that kind of replicated what Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk had done to build his personal brand, replicating that for other talent, right. entrepreneurs, musicians, athletes. Right. I thought, I mean, I thought we were going to be working with a lot more musicians. Mm-hmm. Um, we ended up really finding our sweet spot in the kind of the entrepreneur market, like really right. successful business people that want to launch books, grow their personal brands. Um, got to work with some like thoroughbred OGs, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like Ray Dalio, founder of the world's biggest hedge yeah. fund, enlightened man, wrote one of the best books I've ever read, Principles, got to help launch that. Yeah, it's a great book. Um, worked with Tom Billyu. Tom Billyu, another person too, he's a client, but He's now, I still, at Tom Billy, you check out his show, Impact Theory, interview some of the smartest change makers, entrepreneurs, health people, doctors. Um, so for Tom, it was cool because I got, while at VaynerTalent, got to lead brand strategy for him. And in under two years, we really took his personal brand from aggregate following of like 80,000 people to about uh, just under 2 million when we left. So Well, you got me, man. I follow Yeah, him, Yeah, so. and I think the, what was most exciting for me at Vayner, though, was uh, we really got to, I mean, I got to learn a lot, build incredible relationships. Vayner's awesome. Gary, Team Gary, all those people. Um, but we also did a lot of work with this artist, Black Coffee. And, and um, like when I joined Vayner Talent, wanted to work with musicians, got to do that with Black Coffee. Like it was literally, it was like my favorite part about the job, like just strategizing and essentially Black Coffee, for those of you that aren't familiar, um, house techno superstar at this point, um, grew up in South Africa, rural South Africa. The day before Nelson Mandela got released from jail, he actually got hit by a car and now his left arm is completely paralyzed. So a lot I of people didn't don't, know that. Yeah, a lot of people have no idea. But if you actually watch any of his set recordings, he's only using one hand because he can't use his other arm. I did not know that. Yeah. And um, it's crazy. Literally somebody that grew up in rural, dirt road, farm, South Africa, to now be traveling around the world, playing over 200 tour dates. So amazing person, incredibly humble. We helped him essentially create, execute, define his overarching content strategy and capture all this content. And uh, kind of the course of two years, I mean, it was f- amazing to see what really happened because right, right. through executing upon some of these tactics, we were really able to help him go from being this like underground house act to selling out hard ticket shows at major venues like Terminal 5 to playing at major stages at Coachella. Like, uh, I mean, now he's in a DJ deal with Virgil Abloh. Um, I mean, just a, a true, it was a blessing to get to work with him. It was a blessing to be a, a kind of part of his rise and ascent to be able to, and, and I mean, it really just helped validate my thesis of this, like this Gary V content model works for artists. That's what I wanted to join. Um, 
And then about three or four months ago, I, I left Vayner to co-found Knox because I just felt like I was really passionate about the music marketing space and it just wasn't necessarily a priority at Vayner, but it was a... Uh, and you'd learned enough at that point. I know? learned enough. Um, yeah, I've always been very skeptical of moments whenever I feel like I, I plateau and I'm not moving as quickly towards my goals and ambitions. So I think it was uh, grateful. Moved on at the right time. Uh, really grateful for everybody at that company and left on a great note. So, um, But really excited about what we're building with Knox now, working with some awesome artists. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, man. That's- so what do you think, other than you know learning how to market at, at Vayner Talent, what do you think were some of the big, biggest lessons you learned that you brought with you to Knox that weren't as obvious as just, you know, learning how to market, you yeah. know? Um, I think foundational, like content, 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 like uh-huh. you can never have enough content. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, like Gary literally is, has a, like a 20 person team responsible for his personal brand from relationship development to strategy to primarily just lots of content creators. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, uh, content, will help grow businesses when done and executed upon strategically. So I think uh, it was really cool to see that. I think the other thing, um, I think Gary, it was cool to be in meetings with Gary just because there was literally one meeting I was in with him where it was a, uh, I was in a meeting for a 30 minute, 60 minute meeting. We were brainstorming potential collaboration opportunities with this guy, how we might be able to support, potentially just advising him. Um, real cool music business entrepreneur and uh, Gary comes in 30 minutes into the meeting and through asking over the course of like 30 to 60 seconds, asking hyper pointed, targeted questions and probing around a couple of topics, literally within one to two minutes, he was able to get to the exact same point in the conversation that it had just taken us 30 minutes as far as identifying the different opportunities. So just being able to see Gary at work when it came to actually being able to own a room, being able to just get so dialed in. Um, like I, I think Gary gets a lot of flack for his work ethic. He obviously is like an incredibly he hard. He gets a lot of flack for his work ethic. I think it's double sided, it's double edged sword, if you will. I think some mm. people are a little turned off by like hustle, hustle, hustle. Or, yeah, yeah. And then on the flip side, some people like live and die by that, and they yeah, yeah. are like sacrificing sleep because they got amped up by a Gary V hustle video. Right, so, right. right? Um, but just to see, like, the man doesn't have a computer. Like he doesn't. He's He's either on his phone, sending emails, engaging, DMing people on Instagram, or he's running from meeting to meeting. Like, obviously, it's a luxury to be in a sort of position where you have other people handling stuff like that. But it was inspiring just to see somebody like that at work uh, and his ability to really, A, just make, like, whenever I was with him, it felt like he genuinely cared. And I do think one of his strengths is empathy and, and caring for people. So that, but then also just to see men, like, just nonstop stay on top of his game, walk into every meeting, own the room, hyper-pointed ideas, all that stuff. So I'd say that was really cool. And then I think just the uh, the last thing is just like how powerful influencer marketing is. I think uh, like if you look at any of Gary's releases, even Gary's content strategy, just the way he brings other, even musicians, different yeah. rappers, gonna, like all these people into his content, like that's influencer marketing. Yeah. Like it, um, So I think influencer marketing is still like, the last thing, underpriced attention, like tactics will change, but being able to identify what, where is attention underpriced? Right now, mm. let's make a shit ton of awesome content. Mm. Let's build up a bunch of influencer partnerships. Mm. Instagram's hot. Let's make sure we're thriving on Instagram. Yeah. 
three years from now, all three of those core things could be fundamentally not the best thing to be doing with your marketing. Right. So not getting dogmatic about the actual tactics and making sure you're paying attention at a high level of where the underpriced attention is, right. to me, is, is fascinating. It's something I think I'll definitely carry on through my entire career. Right. Awesome. So what's the, what's the, vision, what's the vision for Knox and how does it differ from what Vayner Talent wanted to do and how do you think you'll implement it? Yeah. So, so Knox, uh, I mean, we're kind of taking a phased approach with Knox. Uh, phase one right now is we want to work with some incredible artist management companies with different artists. We want to essentially help blow up X. Obviously, right. like everybody wants to figure out the formula to break an artist. I think you've got a pretty damn good machine when it comes to how we can grow people on social. Mm. Um, I think if you actually look at the music industry, a lot of the, I mean, more traditional gatekeepers are losing their power. Uh, yeah. Traditional PR, yeah. record labels being the means of you actually having distribution to potential fans. Um, I mean, even just going on the like radio run circuit or like a promo run, like that's good. But I think what's better is being able to own the connection with your audience to just have a large social following where you can reach them directly and not have to use these gatekeepers. So I think we see that happening at a high level. So right now we just want to help break artists using our kind of content marketing model. Um, we don't necessarily want to grow into like a massive agency with like 50 different clients. Like I'd rather like Matt, my, my business partner, super talented, creative director type. Uh, What's both. like the ideal team size for you, you think for employees? Yeah, I think for us, like probably, I think like 10 to 15 is like a sweet spot because mm -hmm. I think once you get there, I think there's a, I want to do a handful of dope work with super dope people. I don't want to, I, I want to be involved too, creatively. I want to be able to design strategy. I don't want to, uh, once you get past that 10 to 15 point part, like I understand the difference between be like your responsibilities change as the CEO or as the kind of lead of the company. And yeah. now you, you don't get to be that involved. And plus right. it's like, I'm not trying to like, I have grand ambitions as a businessman. I know me building a marketing agency is really just a stepping stone. So if we look at the subsequent phases, um, across all of them, we want to start building up our own media properties. Uh, so like podcasts, showcasing different event series, different content series. Right. Um, I think you look at somebody like, uh, I mean, you just look at the new, the new regime of power, right? Whereas traditional PR is dying. Now you have the no jumpers, the lyrical lemonades of the world. Yeah. It's these new media properties that are really the, uh, the new gatekeepers. So yeah. we can create those. And I think that having those as assets is really valuable. So we're already working on some different series to build up our own media properties. And I think uh, we want to run some experiments on some other stuff, but I think as we build out the agency, um, the next side is really using the agency to fund the development of building up our own artist roster. Like I'd, oh, I'd love damn. to really nice. have, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice. And then along the way, I also want to test some, uh, some physical products. I think there's some interesting opportunities awesome. to do influencer marketing in the music space and then create relationships with awesome artists to grow and scale a music product related business. So how do you see content strategy interacting with like management and, and record labels? Yeah. So like I said, I mean, I think since you look at the fact that the power structure is changing and that artists should no longer be like reliant on labels and traditional PR for distribution and for growing their audience. Um, you think this will be like an extra, extra. I, I personally, if I look at like the future of a management company or a record label, like they have in-house content teams cranking yeah. content for all of their artists. Mm. 
Um, I think having that within the DNA, I mean, and if not, I'll source if it's like a yeah, label. higher knocks, right? There. <laughs> Thank you. you read my mind, <laughs> um, no, but seriously, I, I think it's, it should be a core competency for music businesses I mean, mm-hmm. music management companies, artists. I mean, they're essentially marketers. I mean, you create great music and then you get it out to the world. Marketing is a foundational element of that. And I think looking at the modern marketing landscape, create content, get it in the right places, do lots of influencer collabs run good paid media campaigns, Facebook ads, Instagram shout outs, all that stuff. Um, so yeah, future in-house content marketing teams. That's awesome. All right, man. Well, let's get to some hot takes. You ready? I'm bone ready, Jordan. Come on now. Um, so you guys obviously do content strategy. What's that? Um, but the, the argument that I hear against it is that content strategy isn't organic. Um, so when you when you tell somebody what to post on social media, it'll look and feel different coming from an agency like you than from the artists themselves. And a lot of people think it's just impossible to. Yeah, no. I mean, I think it's a super valid concern and definitely something we really had to pay a lot of attention to as a, as a nuance working with musicians because I think uh, you're working with a human being. People are attracted to that human being because of certain char- characteristics or various traits and if those characteristics or traits aren't felt in the content, then yes, it will feel right. inorganic, and it, inorganic. And it also just won't do justice to the elements of that person that you should really be seeking to showcase online. Right. So, I mean, for us, yeah. I mean, I, I would say content strategy when done well is inorganic. But I think if you, A, have a deep understanding of what makes that person unique and you've actually turned that into a strategy where you're mm. trying to pay attention to like – Whenever we're working with clients, we'll take them through an onboarding process where we identify what are the unique kind of artist themes? What are the elements of their personality, the unique elements of their sound, their traits that we really want to be showcased and, and felt within their content? Um, so do you do you tend to like kind of just look at their content for that or are you also like taking them out to dinner? So we it's, it's a combination. I mean, I think part of it, we go through like we'll do an onboarding phase where we, it, we have conversations with the artists. We have conversations with managers. Um, so that way we can really understand and we'll ask them and we'll, we will consume all of their content. So I think it's, it's definitely doing the research up front and then continually refining to, to get dialed in on their voice. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's definitely a super valid concern, something you definitely have to be very conscious of. Um, but if you are and you pay keen attention and you make sure that you are consistently showcasing the, the key traits and key elements of their personality that you prioritized, then I think you can do it in a way that feels very organic and oftentimes at a much more effective scale than the artist can do it if they were trying to do it on their own. Right, right. Yeah, Gary Vee's team, I think, does a really good job at yeah. making it sound like it's Gary totally. Vee constantly. Yeah, yeah. Um, awesome. All right, second hot take. Content strategy is an oversaturated market. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's, it's who does it well who's got a good approach, who's not dogmatic about what they do, but is open to continually testing and refining. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say that, I mean, I think it's, I wouldn't say oversaturated. I'd say like supply demand. I think as the demand for content rises, the supply is rising too. I think. Do you think that the demand for premium content is rising? Premium. What, What do you mean? So I just, you know, I used to want to do social media on the side because yeah. I thought I could just make a couple hundred bucks. And yeah. it seemed like people were just trying to pay 80 to $100 for, for 20 posts yeah. scheduled. And they didn't yeah. really realize the importance of how, you know, importance of good content. Yeah. 
Um, so do you think there is a is an increase in rise in your experience in premium content, which kind of separates yeah, itself? Yeah, I, mean, I, I think uh, you're always. I mean, to some extent, you're going to get what you pay for. Right. I think if you're if you've got a hundred thousand dollars and you've got ten thousand dollars, you're going to get a better marketing and content team than you would if you like if you spent the higher end. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to understand how to more effectively develop and execute upon a strategy to achieve your business goals, mm-hmm. business objectives. Um, I know for us, like we're really trying to strike the sweet spot of like, what is that balance using tactics and stuff that we've used with fortune 100 companies, but make it feasible at like an artist price point. So I think yeah. it's like, it's trying to figure out what is that? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think it's a competitive market, but I, think that there's a lot of people that don't necessarily do it well. I think I see a lot of different silos too. Oftentimes you have like a digital strategy team and then you'll have a separate production team. I think that doesn't make sense because I think <laughs> across any business, I mean, this goes, this applies far beyond this specific context, but the less barriers of communication between core functions, the more likely people are to collaborate well and have a more kind of collectively informed and, and intelligent strategy they can execute upon. So I think uh, siloing off the two doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, what do you think makes Knox different from its competitors? I think one of the big things is definitely that fully integrated approach. I think mm-hmm. from uh, from paid media to overarching strategy to actual content production, influencer marketing collabs, I think it's like, looking at the entire landscape from a marketing perspective and being able to leverage all of the different impact levers is really valuable without having to subcontract all these different people. Cause that just goes right back right. to the silos. Like there's a lot of really cool marketing companies that I've, I've been learning about and that I've interacted with in the music space that don't make content. And to me, it's like, what? <laughs> um, so I think that's a big piece. And then I think the other, I mean, piece is like, I really am excited about, the experience we bring from across different industries, from having designed innovation labs inside Fortune 100 companies to working with some of the world's most prestigious tech startup accelerators, to working with emerging artists, helping them sell out a 200-person show. Shout out Fly By Midnight. Um, (laughs) To to working with massive artists. I mean, mean, Black Coffee at this stage is is getting up there and Mm -hmm. and other stuff. I think being able to have this diverse array of, of experience and have this underlying ethos of continually testing and learning. Um, I find that to be very, very valuable and effective. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Uh, wrapping this up, what are your ambitions? What motivates you? Um, so I'd be, I think it's a couple of things. I mean, I, first of all, love doing work that I enjoy. Like I, I have big goals and I want to create and leave a lasting legacy, but I've really tried to structure my life in a way where I'm not necessarily like going down this rat race, continually chasing the carrot at the end of the stick um, and just doing everything as a stepping stone without really appreciating the process. So I think I've become very intentional about ensuring that like from time to time, like we might take on a client that pays well just because it's going to help us like build out the infrastructure of the business, even though it might not necessarily be a dream client. But Mm -hmm. um, so right now, present state ambition, do awesome work I love with people I love working with. And I think that tends to be like, really dope musicians that I just love listening to whose tickets I'd want to buy and just go support. Um, as it starts to expand out a little bit more, I really do want to create a major impact in the music industry that I definitely like feel just generally like super passionate and excited working in this industry, getting to work with awesome artists. And I, I'm an ambitious person, man. I don't really want to like settle for anything. So, um, 
looking up to Scooter Bronze of the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't call me cocky or ambitious, but like, I'm coming for you, Scooter. <laughs> <laughs> um, beyond that, too, I think. <laughs> Watch out, mate. Um, I think so. It's make a uh, incredible impact in the music industry from a business standpoint. Help right. break and work with some incredible, amazing artists. Um, and then long tail, like once I've really kind of, I have a seat at the table amongst the like hip hop and like music industry elites. Um, I'm really fascinated about the influence that music has on culture. Um, and especially the influence that music and musicians can have in driving social change within underserved communities. Mm. So to dive deeper on that, like I've always been very, very compelled by the notion of like social entrepreneurship and creating businesses and right. that can really create a, an impact uh, kind of more than just profit. Right. Um, beyond that too, like I grew up in Chicago, um, middle, upper middle class, super grateful to have grown up in the environment I was. But mm. it was funny because when I was in high school, I ended up being like, it is super socio, like the one white dude, super socioeconomically diverse group of friends and got exposure into a different life. And I, I think I saw like one of um, my friends, alpha male, natural leader, mentor, helped instill confidence in me, confidence and ambition and hustle that I have to this day. But he was channeling that same ambition and, and hustle towards like selling drugs. Cool. It worked for him at the time, but flash forward five, 10 years now, he's, uh, now he's, he's not really doing much professionally. And it hurts me to see that because at that stage in my life, he instilled a sense of like confidence is this mm-hmm. like dude that was just like seeking approval and stuff. Like used to be super introverted and socially awkward. Now I'm like the exact opposite. Um, so for me, what that showed is that, uh, nature versus nurture paradox, right? Like you can have this person that's naturally an alpha male with these intangibles that every business wants and needs. But if you get nurtured in the wrong environment, then, right? right? So then right. you couple that with the, the fact that different artists have lots of influence into underserved communities. I see an opportunity to leverage that influence to drive social change in underserved communities. I know right. it's a grand problem. Don't ask me the answer. I wouldn't even be surprised if 20, 15 years from now, I went back to school to, to study sociology again. I studied that a bit at Fordham, but I really want to like tackle that problem. And I think that like, if I have my stripes as a businessman in music, like I'll be able to like partner with some of the world's biggest artists and present them with the means of driving impact. All right. these artists want to create impact. I just haven't seen a great, uh, a repeatable kind of mechanism of, of really leveraging their influence to drive change. So I think uh, that's like super long tail, like objective. Oh man, it's great though. It's yeah, great. And that. I don't think people think about that enough when they're thinking about their own objectives. Right. You know, it's like really giving back. Yeah, you know? for sure. So, you know, I tell people all the time, would I be where I was today if my parents didn't help me with rent when I came to New York? You yeah. know what I mean? Right. Um, and obviously I was in school, so it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, we took out loans and everything like right. that. It wasn't like they were just handing me checks all the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, we were, you know, we're, we're blessed. You know what I'm saying? We, we grinded, we hustled. But, you know, like you said, you ended up in a different situation than your friend. You know, how much of that was literally just having, you know, parents around? Yeah. You know what I mean? How much of that sure. was just going home and having a support system, mm-hmm. you know? 100%. So, um, so, yeah. All right, Sam. It's been a pleasure, man. We Thank out here. You. All right, guys. Uh, So if you like this episode, please like and subscribe. Leave some comments, whether you liked it or disliked it. We'd like to hear everything. 
And uh, we'll see you on the next episode of the Music Business Podcast. And, and one last thing, Jordan. I, I've just been a huge fan of the Music Business Podcast for a while now. So <laughs> super grateful that you had me on, man. Of course, It's, it's been dude. a pleasure, bro. Of course. What's been your favorite part about it, man? I'll ask you too. I, I really like your co-host. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm playing. Uh, no. no, I love working with Jordan. I love the conversations we get to have. I think it's... Uh, It's been really fascinating to learn and then also just give these other people a platform to share their knowledge. I think, yeah. once again, going back to hip-hop artists and, and giving them a means to give back to their community. I think people that have had some level of success in the music industry also have the desire to give back. So we're literally just giving them a mechanism to, to share the, the knowledge they've gained. Awesome, man. Awesome. All right, guys. Until next time. Peace.